Hello. 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 One day I'm going to get the perfect hello. Or maybe I never will get the perfect hello. Maybe that's the whole thing is that there is no perfect hello. Hello and welcome to We're Only Human. I'm Tim and this is season two of We're Only Human. This season is all about exploring who we are by asking ourselves the question, who are we? Today, uh, Tracy. Tracy is someone who, well, she's my guest today. I should probably say that. Tracy is someone who I stumbled upon a Twitter thread of hers recently, um, and she was giving advice for people that want to work at startups. And the part that caught my eye was she said, basically, you are more than your job. And to me, that's kind of what this you know, podcast and, and show is all about in some ways is that we are more than our profession. We are more than the productivity. We are more than the job we do professionally and, you know, what we do to make money. And so I had a lot of questions for her. So I thought, I thought we need to get her on. We're only human. So we did. I did. She's here. And before we chat, let's do a quick sound check. All right. Let's see. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, um, hard boiled eggs. Just straight up, just the eggs. Yeah, just the eggs with Ooh. some pepper. There's oh. two of them. I was in a rush. <laughs> I think hard boiled eggs is a pretty solid. I mean, that's a lot of protein. You got a lot of energy on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I honestly haven't really eaten anything else. I d- did just have a couple tiny pieces of cheese before this, and then after this, I will eat dinner. Today, I'm joined by Tracy Wallace. She's a daughter, wife, sister, director of content strategy at Clavio. And uh, when I was thinking like, who's Tracy? In my words, I thought you're a very positive, cheerful person. Like, you got a smile on your face right now. So that just proves my point, although no one can see it. But you're positive, cheerful, upbeat. Um, I get the very, I get the the vibe of like looking for the bright side of life in glass half full, um, which I feel too. I think, I think we, like I, I can feel that from you because I think, I don't know what we call these people, who we are, but we can feel that from each other when we have bright side of life people around us. Um, I think you also like, I get the impression you, you're a very kind person, but you want to like create the best for everyone. Like try and lift us, like rising tide lifts all boats is Tracy Wallace. Um, That's how I describe you as I just did. But if someone asked you the question, (laughs) who are you? What would you say? Oh, what would I say? Um, I'd probably say I'm a Texan. I mean, I, so I'm a fifth generation (laughs) Texan and I, that has been like instilled in me from a really young age. I come from a decently small town in, um, East Texas, Southeast Texas, um, grew up really close to my family, um, with like an extended family. And, um, I don't know, kind of grew up on like ghost stories, stories of World War II. My grandfather had earned the Purple Heart there and had a, another brother who was killed. Um, and, and around like business best practices, I guess. That's probably, that's not business best practices necessarily, but my <laughs> grandfather started um, a B2B company and um, a, a manufacturing company. And that is where my mom works, both of her sisters work, it's where two of my cousins work. Um, So that was just always a really big part of um, 
of, of me and my family. So it's like, you know, very much a family person, um, very Texas oriented, um, just as a result, like, I, I think geography is really important to our life experiences and in, in general and into our memory and, and yeah, how we experience things. I think I'm upbeat and bright. Um, but that's like on my good days, if I don't get enough sleep, um, I'm not very, very quickly. I am not. <laughs> so sleep is a very important, I, I'm, and I can sleep so easy. I can just like go to sleep anywhere at any time. And I love that. Oh, that's such about a gift. Myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a gift. I am having to learn like now that I'm like approaching mid thirties, that um, even very small amounts of alcohol will ruin my night of sleep. Um, and that is a change in lifestyle. <laughs> yes. Okay. I've noticed this over the past couple of years. And like, especially in the past few years, yes. I'm not going to lie. Just the other night, I was on a date yeah. and had some alcohol. <laughs> and I didn't have a lot. But I like, my night sleeping was not as well as I knew it could have been. And I remember going to bed. Again, I had like two drinks. And right. I was just like... I don't ever want to drink again. Like this night sucks. I can't sleep. I have to get up to go to the bathroom all night. I can't, you know, fall back asleep. And yeah. so well, I'm just then, happy that I'm not I the only more one. than two, I like, I, I'm hungover for two days. So it's like two <laughs> nights of sleep <laughs> yes. and it's a whole thing. So I am actually right now I'm drinking a non-alcoholic Heineken oh, um, look at that. because I apparently need the taste of alcohol without the actual alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what what category of human that puts me in, um, but that is that is where I'm at these days. <laughs> I fully empathize with that. I think what surprises me the most is like that, like I'm I just turned 37 last month, so I'm nice. right around where you are. And like, yeah. I don't know. I guess I assumed that like this whole like we could drink some alcohol and sleep well and and be fine, like we were 10, 20 years ago. Uh, would continue for many more years. And apparently, no, it's like mid thirties is it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. That, that is where it, it is. I mean, soon. I've started getting into, um, I mean, we're also lucky, right? Like the direct to consumer industry and all the like non-alcoholic drinks is like thriving, which is amazing. And so there's a lot of like non-alcoholic spirits to try and boy, have I been trying them, but also like anytime I go home to visit my family, I mean, my family's very, like, we're from Southeast Texas. It's like a whiskey place. Like you drink whiskey. It is mm. what you do. My mom was like giving us hottie toddies when we had sore throats as like toddlers. Like it is just like part of the life there. And so, um, yeah, it's really interesting to see how culture has changed, especially, you know, I live in Austin, so it's pretty far from Southeast Texas, about four, a four hour drive and very different culture here than down there. So I am learning how to balance my alcohol intake with my very deep desire and need for sleep, um, which I know is true for everyone, but I personally turn, turn into a monster if I don't have eight hours of good sleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm similar. <laughs> so um, you're from small town and like, sounds like very family oriented, like probably close yeah. with your family. I'm curious, grandfather's got the the manufacturing business and it sounds like the, it's still a family business. Um, were you ever involved in any way or how, how did you, is there any reason you didn't get involved? Or I'm curious, like, yeah. cause it sounds like that's a part of who you are, like being with the family and, you know, obviously your career took you elsewhere. So I'm just curious. Yeah, for sure. Well, so, uh, my very first job, or maybe it wasn't a job, um, cause I didn't get paid for it. Um, but <laughs> the very first like job ish thing that I did, I suppose, um, was working in like um, on, on one of the cotton machines in, in the back of the factory. Um, it was a, I 
it was the middle of summer. I wasn't doing anything else. My grandfather had me out there because we had high order volume and someone needed to be out there. Um, so I was, I can't remember what I was on. It was some kind of like cotton picker line. And I learned very, very quickly the wrong way to put the cotton in um, so that I wouldn't have to work that machine anymore and would therefore never be asked back to work there again. <laughs> um, so that was my main lesson and takeaway from that, though. I will say I did uh, complain to my grandfather about it at the time. And I remember very vividly him like being very upset with me and saying like, do you think you were better than the, than the people who have to work out here? And I was like, no, but also I'm probably like 12 and I don't want, and I don't want to do this for a couple hours, uh, which neither here nor there. Um, but that's about my extent with the family business itself. I ended up not going into it. I mean, for a lot of reasons. Again, I come from small town, East Texas. Um, I knew from a really young age that that wasn't where I wanted to live for the rest of my life. Um, I have a lot of great friends there. My family's still there. Um, I was very into writing, though. I used to want to be the editor-in-chief of Vogue. I started editing Vogue magazines, like forced my mother to buy them, and then started editing them when I was nine years old. Got very excited when Teen Vogue came out and started editing that as well. So I very much wanted to work at Hearst or Condé Nast. I did end up interning at Hearst and learned quickly I don't want to work at either of those organizations. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just knew that that Beaumont, Texas wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, ended up going to school at Texas A&M. And then as soon as I graduated, found my way over to Austin, Texas, just about as quickly as I could. Um, fits a lot more with with me. I will say my family, for as loving as they are, refer to me or don't, don't in, to my face necessarily refer to me, but I am like the liberal lesbian of the family. And keep in mind, I grew up in a very Southern Baptist family. Um, so Beaumont, not necessarily my cup of tea, Love my family. They're fantastic. But Austin, much better for me. I've also lived in New York City and Paris and Quito and uh, Oakland, California for a bit. So I've kind of been around and always end up coming back to Austin and Texas, probably because Texas does uh, brainwash you as a child. Uh, you say that <laughs> Texas Pledge every single day. You learn all about Texas history. There's something Wait, Texas weird has about a pledge? this place. Texas has a pledge. <laughs> Like different than the United States pledge? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you say it. Um, I can't remember if it was right before or right after the U.S. pledge, but you say it every single day. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's wow. I pledge allegiance to Texas. I can't remember the rest of it, but you put your hand like this, like out flat in front of you. That's like, instead like of over your heart, it's out flat in front of you. Like you're yep. holding something imaginary like you're on your palm? holding something. Yeah. Here, look. I can even say like Texas pledge. Wow. I know. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. This is it. Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state under God, one and indivisible. So very similar to the the American <laughs> pledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not know this. Wow. I'm, yeah. I'm kind yeah. of blown you know, away. Texas, Texas used to be its own country. It's the only state in the U.S. that can legally raise its flag as high as the United States flag, which symbolizes that it, too, was a country. I didn't know that either. Texas had three presidents, four technic, four terms. One of them served twice. Do you feel like Texas? It sounds like like I've I've never lived in Texas, um, but it That's sounds fine. like <laughs> like growing <laughs> not, up there. Not necessary for everyone. It's a weird place. 
<laughs> do you feel that Texas is is truly like a part of your identity just from from growing up there? Like it sounds like it, you know, like I'm from I'm from the Chicago area, I'm from Illinois. Yeah. And like I think there's a part of me that is Midwestern, like there's just that growing up here, but I get the sense that the the Texan identity might feel stronger than than the Midwestern one. Oh, I don't know. I think the Midwest. I think the Midwest has a pretty strong identity too. That's true. Uh, yeah, yes, there are people. Yeah, I mean, I do. Yeah, I guess I mean, I mean I, in terms of like it being a part, like like the fact that you've always kind of come back. You know, even though you're not in the same small town as a family, you're in a different environment in Texas. It sounds like there's still that part of Texas that's like this is a part of who I am. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do. I do feel like that. But I mean, it's hard to. It's hard to tell if I feel like that because it's Texas and the, the state brainwashes folks a little bit. Um, <laughs> or, I mean, I, I really just am a person who has always been very interested in geography. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who started writing when I was really young too. My stories were like, have you know brought in a lot of the nature and stuff around me. So I am someone who pays a lot of attention to like where I am in the world and how that shapes my experience. And I think mm. probably just because I have a lot of memories in Texas that then makes Texas a like strong place and identity for me. That makes sense. I love that you were editing magazines at nine years old. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Like it's, it shows that you, you know, I, I'm always amazed at, um, when we're that young, when we show this like desire to go after something like, cause I mean, nine is still pretty young. I mean, you're starting to become almost, you know, that tween teen years, but like yeah. to show that like passion, I bet your parents were, were blown away too. Cause that's, that's still pretty young to like, you know, you're still being exposed yeah. to everything in the world, you know? So, so to be like, Hey, I, I want to do this right now. I, I'm really passionate about this. That's really yeah. powerful. I mean, I really loved um, reading. I knew from a really young age that I wanted, like whatever I did with my life, I wanted to make money from writing. Um, and then the next step from that was, um, okay, cool. I need to get better at writing. And so um, in my little brain, I probably saw Vogue at like, a grocery store and thought sure. that it was one of the best <laughs> publications. Yeah. Um, and so of course, yeah, asked my mom to get me a subscription. And then every single time it came in, I wasn't even like, I, I don't even think I knew at the time that it was editing. It was reading through it and making notes on the story, how I would have done it differently, how I would have rearranged it. If there were any spelling errors I caught, like I was trying to teach myself story format. Wow. Did you... Like after you, you edited it, did you like show it to anyone or were you just no. like, I'm just going to do it and then move on to the next? Like, I'm wondering like, what was the workflow there? Like, Hey mom, you want to take a look at this or was it no, just, I mean, I, I, I threw them away. Um, honestly that, or I did a lot of, um, like paper mache. My mom was uh, a kindergarten teacher. And so she was real into paper mache. She did that with her students a lot. And so, you know, I papered mache trash cans and like ceiling fans and everything that I could. Oh. And that's, and I got most of my images from the magazines that I had left all of my notes on. So it all just got torn up. It truly was for my, like, I, I was just trying to educate myself on how to write better stories and learn story structure, figure out how to start stories. I remember um, a, a lot of writers like know that feeling of, you know, getting to um, a blank page and just like not knowing how to begin something. 
that was something that was really common for me when I was a younger writer. And one of the ways that I tried to fix that was reading how other people started things um, and like reading a lot of it to the point where I have read like the first part of a lot of books and things and never finished them because part I was like trying to teach myself how to begin. <laughs> so you, you were, I feel like you uh, were ahead of your time there. Like you. I don't know. Um that's all. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't have any like friends or anyone who was doing that kind of stuff. My family certainly didn't. My family thought it was weird. My like very few people in Southeast Texas, at least that I knew, were like subscribed to a major fashion magazine. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah. So they, I mean, they didn't think it was bad by any means, but they certainly thought it was odd behavior. It wasn't like there was too much encouragement, though. There was a lot of encouragement for writing mostly because I had just been doing it from, from when I was really little. I mean, and I was cocky about it, which is so annoying. Looking back at all of my like letters to my grandparents when they like, I think there's one from when I was six that they had like missed a tea party that I had. And so I wrote them a letter that explained that the tea was cold and they don't even like cold tea. So it's fine. And besides the best part of the entire event was that they got a letter from me. So, um, and they got to enjoy my, my writing and storytelling. So I was a very like, just, I don't know. I've just always been very into telling stories, figuring out how to tell stories. Um, how to write those down, how to pull the emotions from people. I There've been um, multiple times, one in particular, um, right after um, September 11th, where, you know, our class um, had the assignment to write uh, letters to, to uh, firemen or to like write letters about like our emotions. And I was the first one to stand up and read mine. And like the whole class was in tears and nobody else had to read anymore after that. And I remember leaving and being like, you did good. Like that was good. And so I was very, I, I was, I was my own worst critic, my own worst editor. I was looking to pull emotions out from people and trying to figure out how words and stories could do that. But to be fair, my family is a very Southern family and they do that already in the way that they tell stories, right? Like we we have a lot of ghost stories that the family tells family stories that have gone through generations. And so like my, I I learned from them to begin with and probably got my love for doing it. um, Just, just from listening to all of them talk around the, the kitchen table. It's such a powerful feeling when you're able to pull that emotion out of somebody with a story. I remember when I was in high school, I made a lot of slideshows, like video slideshows for like graduations and stuff. And I would do it for my sister and her friends and stuff. Um, and I remember like you create the slideshow, put on the DVD, and sometimes they'd come over to her house and watch it. And so I'd be there and I'd be watching and be like, is anyone crying? Like yeah. my goal here is to make them cry, not in a bad way, but like if they're crying as they re- you know watch this graduation you know, over right. the year of, of their pictures and stuff. I'm like, all right, mission accomplished. But right. That's such like, a like powerful I, I feeling. I honored it right. Like, like I showed it in the way yeah. that like, you know, people are going to remember. Like that's, that, that's a thing. And that's, I mean, that's honestly something I carry into um, just like my, my role in like in content roles for companies, which is thinking back to that feeling, right? Which is like most writers, most people, and they produce something they want one other people to see it and two to like have it stir some kind of emotion right and so it's something that i talk a lot with um, people who write for me now about like okay one 
Let's make sure that we're producing the highest quality stuff. Let's make sure we're getting in front of the right people. And let's make sure that like it's advocating for that reader in a way that like, you know, helps that reader either in their career to accomplish the task at hand, whatever it is, but like content should be moving. Yes. Oh, I love that. I, I, that's my favorite part of storytelling is when you get that emotion out of someone. Yeah, it's, so, it's nice. Yeah. It's nice. It's to know you like affected them in that way. Like it's a very raw human way. Like, you know, we're, no, no matter who we are, we all have emotions of some sort. So to be right. able to like kind of bring those to life is such a, it's such a powerful thing. Right. Well, I mean, it's also a very, um, just kind of like basic human thing, right? Yeah. Like humans have been gathering around fires for centuries or tables, fires, whatever, for centuries, telling stories of all kinds, like stories um, are how we learn, right? I mean, through anecdotes and metaphors, um, it's how we relate to the world around us. I mean, language is innate, right? Like, like linguistics and a variety of other folks have, have come to find that like, like language is just like part of who we are and how we, you know, connect the dots between our experience. So I don't know, storytelling's a big part of that. I will say though, while I love storytelling, I love writing. um, I like have completely missed the boat for the most part on like music. (laughs) Like that was not a big part of my childhood. And my wife is so into music. My goodness, she gets from music, what I get from books or from, or, or from content writing or reading it. Um, and in just a way that like is so hard for me to understand. Right. Which is, um, I mean, it's just so fascinating. Like different people are pulled by and toured and moved by different mediums. You, you saying you missed the boat of music, like you don't listen to a lot of music or, or go to live music shows or what do you mean by you missed the boat of music? Music doesn't move me emotionally the way that like written word does, oh, right? Like it's it's harder okay. for me to connect it up. Music to me is like, cool, this is fun. We're like drinking some beer, listening to sure. some country music. And my wife, who's very into music, not country music for the most part, is like, no, like if you just listen to this, you'll get it. And bless her little heart. I'm like, mm-mm. It just sounds like um, wow. some people playing some nice music, but it's not like moving me in the way that it does her, right? Or I'll go to concerts yeah. with her and like everyone around us will be in tears. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind people of liked this. That's clear. <laughs> this is so interesting to me because I'm definitely your wife. I am yeah. hugely moved by music in, in all the ways. Like I'll you know, turn on music of a certain type to like feel a certain emotion. Like I can intentionally put on a song that'll make me feel sad or make me feel happy or energetic. And um, that's so fascinating that like you don't get that from music, but you do get that from other ways of communicating and storytelling. Yeah. That's fascinating to me because I guess I naively assumed that it was sort of a, a human thing that we all could be just like music, no matter what you would be affected by it. But I guess why not? It makes sense that you could not be affected by it. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's it's not, like, entirely not in- affected by it. I, I do think you're right that it's, like, a basic, another basic human thing that, like, m- music moves Yeah, I mean, people. that's how movies work with the soundtrack, right? Right, like, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you combine music with, like, powerful, powerful storytelling, and I'm there. Um, I think for me, though, music plays... Um, 
a lot more of a nostalgic role for me. Like I like to listen to music that reminds me of certain times, right? Rather than music that necessarily like pulls on specific emotions. So if I've never heard a song before, I'm way less likely to like it because I don't have any like immediate memories associated with it. I totally get that. I don't know. Maybe that's weird. I'm also tone deaf, so that could that could be part of it. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's weird at all. I, I do okay. that as well with music. I, I listen to music all the time that'll bring me back, or a song will come on and I'll immediately be... I'm very visceral with that. Like I have the right. very visual memories of that song Same. and what it means yeah. to me. So I get that yeah. totally. Same. Yeah. I, um, I don't remember. A while back, I stumbled upon... You had this Twitter thread. I think it was about like advice for startups, but... The, the part that caught my eye was you said, do everything in your power to not tie your identity to your job. Oh, you yeah. are more than your job. And I love, like, I'm such an advocate for my, one of my biggest like pet peeves is in America, how we like stumble upon another human being. We're like, what do you do? And yeah. like, what we mean is like, what's your job? And right. it's just like, so unfortunate in my eyes that that's sort of how we start the question of like who, you know, how do you identify yourself? It's like, what do you do for your job? And so when I saw your Twitter thread, I I love that. I'm curious, like, and I think you had written this as part of like advice for people that were working at startups. So it it sounds like you were kind of from years of experience sharing your advice. I'm, I'm curious, like, where did you kind of come to that conclusion that we are more than our job? From burning out, from tying my identity to a job, <laughs> that's where, from Makes doing sense. it myself and realizing that it was a really bad idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us in, in in the U.S. for sure, but I mean, I think this happens in, in other cultures as well, but we tie our personal value to our productivity, mm. Um And that is just like, I mean, that can just lead to such disaster, especially when your productivity is at a job, maybe a startup um, that is willing to take all of your productivity (laughs) for the, you know, cost of what you originally agreed to, which was probably those 40 hours a week. Um, I think a lot about my um, grandfather when I think about the way that like people work now, um, a very hard worker, you know, started his own business. His goal was to make my grandmother a millionaire before she died. And I think she ended up passing, uh, like three or four months after he like hit that goal. Um, so like a goal accomplished, which was fantastic, but like Today, I mean, God, you go on Twitter, you go on LinkedIn, like, I mean, the, the like hustle culture is real. A million dollars for most people, I mean, is like nothing, right? Or like, so people make it seem on those platforms. A yeah. So, yeah. million dollars is a lot to me. Let me make that clear. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. So like the, the hustle culture is real. Um, and like, here's what's like changed in that time period, right? Like you you think back to, you know, my grandfather's time period or, or whatever else, right? People were working on, you know, building computers, creating these like tech, technological advancements, which ultimately would be the hope would be when these things came out the way they were marketed. It was that like, this is going to help future generations do like spend less time at work, spend more time with their family, spend more time doing the things that, that they love, right? Or like, like, 
make the same amount of money, make good money, whatever, but like also still be able to do all these other things. And I just don't think that one that has been entirely realized. I think I, I feel lucky to work in the tech industry where I feel like it is an industry that has more realized it than a lot of other industries. Um, because, you know, we are an industry in which you can, you can work remote. Remote work practices are very much being accepted. Even a lot of technology companies are going down to four day work weeks. Like, Hey, Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but like, we have increased our productivity, the amount of work that any single one of us can get done on a computer in an eight hour day would take, would have taken a week years ago um, or decades ago, might, might I say. And, and so like at what point in time, and this is where the like tying your worth to your productivity, like when you do that, how much productivity is enough? right? Like we live in a culture that says it's not ever enough. And when you're tying your self-worth and your value to that, um, you end up burning out, which is 100% what I did. And then I thought that um, when I burned out, I thought that by quitting my job and that that would solve it, I thought that it was my job that had burned me out um, and learned pretty quickly thereafter that no, it was, it, it was my lack of, of boundaries around work. That's a, that's originally what I thought about six months later. And then about a year after I had burned out, I was like, okay, no, like this, it's not even just about my boundaries. It's how I, it's how I think about work. It's, it's my mental model around work and productivity. Um, and it ultimately took me probably about three years to like fully come out of the burnout cycle in, in a much healthier way. Um, so, so that, that's what I mean by like, do not tie your self-worth to your, your work. You're so much more than that. Um, we aren't taught that regularly in the United States and a variety of other cultures. Some families might teach it more than others, but um, th- we're a culture of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, which harkens back to you are your productivity. And I just think that is such a dangerous way of thinking. I, I read a book um, not too long ago called Laziness Does Not Exist. Highly recommend it. Um, I only read, I, I didn't read the like last third of it because I was like, okay, cool. I get the message, which is like my, my, what I do with a lot of books, but <laughs> the, the, the first portion of it, um, is, is, is really, really good. But I mean, it, it makes this case really well too, specifically for the U S. Um, but again, it, it can apply to a lot of cultures. Um, and I mean, it has data to back it up. Um, it talks about how we use the word lazy as, um, a way to bring other people, including ourselves down um, as like this class of people who are not valuable because they are not being productive. And that's just not true. Oh yeah. Um, at all. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. It starts, you know, it starts with like when we're children and everyone around us asks us, what do you want to be when you grow up? Which of course means like, what is your job going to be? Like you are six and you need to start thinking about how you're going to contribute to the productivity of this world. Yeah. Yeah. Which is such a dangerous, I saw that like I've, my son's 11, my daughter's seven. And like, I mean, even before now, when they were younger, people would ask them, And you know, of course people now that my son's getting older, they're asking him even more because it's like sixth grade, but I just, it's such a slippery slope because like, I think it's important to think about like, 
what kind of impact do you want to make on this world? But that doesn't have to be like through your, I don't know, your, your job, so to speak. Like there's so much more to, I always think about it. Like, how do you spend your time? Right. Like you have X amount of years on the planet, X amount of time in a day. How would you like to spend your time? Like that could be a variety of things. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I I mean, I, I feel for kids today too, because, um, and, and parents, <laughs> or maybe, maybe, maybe less so for parents because, you know, kids have, um, you know, these phones and apps and a variety of things that, um, ensure that they are rarely, if ever bored. Um, and I, I think boredom is so important to figuring out what it is that you like to do. I mean, I would say part of the reason why I started writing when I was really young was because I was effing bored. There was nothing else to do. And so I started, like, it's what I gravitated toward. And over time that became something I loved and a hobby and something that I like made time to sit down and do. And I think, um, you know, that, that kind of lack of boredom makes it hard for people to understand not necessarily what kind of impact that they want to have, but like those skills that are inherently theirs, right. That, that, you know, maybe um, have been gifted to them. And I, I certainly think I have been gifted writing. Writing is easy for me. I'm not like, I I will never, I'm not the world's best writer. I need editors for sure. But I mean, I can turn out a 2000 word blog post in an hour and people pay good money for that kind of stuff. And I just didn't, realize that was a skill other people had until I like got into the, 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 the job market. Um, and a lot of that came from being bored and that boredom came from being lazy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it like, like it all, it all kind of correlates. Yeah. I think that's so true. I, speaking of writing, um, I stumbled upon this video on YouTube of you and your wife and some friends, I think, the Georgia Peach video. Do you know what I'm referring to? The Georgia Peach video. Man, you've been all over. (laughs) I have so many questions about what (laughs) the the premise of the video is like your wife and and another woman are walking up and then you play the person at Uh the peach stand with another woman and they're talking about a peach. I would like... Yeah, I, I would like to explain this. Um, so you found that on a channel called Ladies Eat Free, which is my wife and uh, some of her very close friends um, sketch comedy group. Oh, and so really? They, yes. How fun. And so they produce and publish. It's honestly at this point like one per year video. Um, yeah, this was like two years old, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, and it's just like dumb humor, like the <laughs> dumbest humor. But yeah, so I have been pulled into several of those um, gotcha. just just by way of like being an extra human. And they're like, we need this person to say this. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, so that, that's, that's what it is. My wife's dream job, as well as her best friend's dream job, would be uh, to be comedians. But my wife is uh, a pediatric nurse and her best friend is a tech salesperson. Um, and so instead of doing that full-time, cause they both tell me if they were to go do it full-time, they would get depressed because comedians are just sad all the time. And so they just prefer to work normal jobs and do their one sketch video every year. And they spend most of the rest of the year drinking and hanging out together and like laughing about funny sketch ideas they could do. <laughs> 
I love that. You know what that reminds me of? I just spoke with on, on this podcast, Carla Stickler. She's um, she's here in Chicago, but she is someone who just became well recently. Uh, she basically was a Broadway actor turned software engineer. Whoa! And, yeah, and then she—it's uh, a long story—but she got called to go back uh, back in the end of 2021 to go perform on Broadway for Wicked for a weekend as an emergency. Yeah. But she basically (laughs) talked about what you're almost describing your wife is that like she realized that because you don't pursue the arts full time, like as a creative person, because you don't pursue the arts full time does not make you a failure. There's actually a world where you can have whatever the arts mean to you. And it sounds like your wife's similar. She's like, Hey, actually I want to have a a career as a pediatric nurse and I'm going to have the arts in the way that I want to have them in my life, but I don't have to pursue them full time. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally, I think that's so great. Is it, um, is the sketch comedy, I got to go look now. I didn't realize there were more videos. (laughs) Oh, there's Um, so many videos. The, you have to go watch the bachelor lesbian whole thing (laughs) it is like 12 maybe it's not 12 it might be like eight different episodes but they literally film like a shorter version of like a bachelor (laughs) bachelorette season but it's all lesbians and with a bunch of fun jokes um it is a very popular show i mean their 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 videos are like highly watched like hundreds of thousands of people have watched them that's fantastic I mean, it's amazing. And I'm like, Rach, if y'all just did this more regularly, like even one a month, like yeah. it would, like, like y'all would be huge. And she's just like, no, no, we can't do that. Like you're, <laughs> you're asking us to commit too much. And I'm like, it literally takes y'all a weekend to make one of these. Like they are not highly produced. I don't, I don't understand what the pushback is, but nonetheless, here we are. Do you get nervous or self-conscious being in the video, knowing that there's a potential of hundreds of thousands of people are going to see this? Uh, no, not really. I mean, so I do a lot of videos, um, for my job. So I could do content promo videos. I'm on webinars, that kind of stuff a bunch. It is very different for me to be in a funny video, but I will say I am always, always, always a side character. I am not a very good actress. Um, and they usually have to take my, my shots a few different times. (laughs) So it, the focus is always on the two main characters, which, um, are are my wife and and her best friend. Okay. So I'm like picturing the video now and this makes so much more sense. Yes. That it's a, a, I mean, it was hilarious. I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is a sketch from a sketch comedy group, which is even better. I got to go back and watch the bachelor, what bachelor lesbian. The bachelor lesbian. Yeah. The whole, the whole channel is called ladies eat free. They have a bunch of funny stuff on there. Um, yeah, there was one called, oh gosh, I can't even remember it. But the very first time I watched one of their videos was actually before me and my wife had met and she used my name in the video. And it is just like, like Austin lesbian lore, the whole, like how the whole thing came to be. I mean, these, these girls get recognized out on the streets sometimes like, oh, you're the, you're the bachelor lesbian people. And I'm just like, I swear y'all would be famous doing this stuff if you actually committed and they're just like, no, no, we're too busy riding our bikes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait. So she said she had never met you in her life and said your name in, in the mm-hmm. video. And then you mm-hmm. coincidentally. I mean, in particular, yeah. In particular, she said, so Tracy kissed me last night. Um, which wasn't true because we had not met yet. Yeah. Um, though about a month later, me and the person that I was with had broken up. And that person to this day is still convinced that I cheated on her with my no. now wife. No. I know. I know. 
I'm telling you, Ladies Eat Free <laughs> is um, great and also and also interesting. What a fun channel! <laughs> oh my gosh! I can't believe you dug deep, though, man. Like, <laughs> you know what? It was. Um, I did, but it was on it was on your uh, your wife's Instagram profile. She has a link to it. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's a good way to find it. It's it's hers. It's her. It's her baby. Um, yeah, they, their good friend, Sarah. So, so they used to produce more often. Now they do about once a year, but the person who produced it for them used to live in Austin and moved to New York city. So that's another reason why they only do it once a year. Um, but Sarah's like actually like in the like film industry. And I swear she's going to end up being a writer on a show one day. Like she is very funny. These girls are very funny. <laughs> yeah, the Georgia Peach video I thought was hilarious. Yeah, they it's so in Austin, um you're probably not familiar, but in, in Austin around like in the springtime, maybe it's the summer. I can't remember exactly when it happens, but a bunch of stands just pop up all over the city and the hill country out here selling Fredericksburg peaches, um, which is where they got the idea for the Georgia peaches. And I'll tell you, even that day that we were filming, we had that stand in front of our little tiny house. We had multiple cars stop us to ask if they could buy our peaches. And we were like, no, these aren't these aren't what you think they are. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, welcome. Welcome to our weird, funny life. These are the things we do on the weekend. <laughs> that's that's so fun. I also love the combination of pediatric nurse by day and then sketch comedy, you know, creator by night. Like, I, there's something yeah. so beautiful to that. I mean, pediatric nurse, I can't imagine your wife it's, is a hero of... I know. It's, it wow. is. It seems to be something else. I mean, and it's, I mean, it's hard too. She's recently gone down to um, part-time hospitals. This is a whole other, whole other thing we could go off on, but um, nurses are not treated well, man. Um, not, not at all. Um, they aren't paid well. They aren't treated well. Their insurance is awful. Um, I think in, in like some places where they have unions, like in California, for instance, I, I think things are a little better. Texas is not a union state. Um, and yeah, man, it's just bad. Those she, she'll, she'll work a full 12 hour shift sometimes without being able to go to the bathroom or grab a bite to eat. And that is just normal and what is expected. And she has to suck it up and deal with it. They got a 12 cent raise first raise they've gotten in three years, um, about a a couple months ago. Like, I mean, it's just like, it's nut, it's nut stuff. And I mean, it's, it's just so upsetting. I know there's a lot of nurses, Certainly not, not just my wife. She, you know, a bunch of her good friends are nurses too. But I mean, all of the, you know, healthcare hero stuff that popped up over the pandemic um, was felt decently like insulting to them um, because they're just like, if we were really heroes, like we wouldn't be treated like this. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's the yeah. anyway? So that's a that's a whole other thing for people who are interested. There are people who talk about this on Twitter and a variety of other places. I'm not one of them. Neither is she because um, she doesn't want to get fired because Texas hospitals will fire you. Hospitals are also weird. I'm just going to throw this last one in. Hospitals are also weird in that they are most of them are private companies over which the states have a lot of control. Um, and that puts them in a very weird um, employment position and predicament. Yeah. I, the whole like healthcare being private, the whole hospitals being like private companies is a whole thing that is, I could go on forever, but I think it's so terrible that 
it's just so messed up. I have so many thoughts. It's weird. I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't mind either way, private or public, but they, hospitals don't get to run the way that like a tech company does. Right. So for instance, just to give like a, a small sample in Texas, um, when the pandemic got really bad here, um, uh, the, the governor put in a very short, like mandate that said any nurse, the governor did this, any nurse that takes a travel nurse job outside of the state of Texas will lose their Texas license. Now, the problem with that is that travel nurse jobs in the United States pay about two, sometimes three X what a a nurse's regular salary would be. Um, and other places in the country were also experiencing pandemic highs. So there was a lot of money to be made for nurses during a time in which they were really needed, during a time in which the country seemed to be praising them, asking for more help. But here in Texas, if you accepted any of that, the state would make sure you couldn't work here, not even not even your private hospital. Wow. It's just crazy. Like That's how, tough. Like how... How could he say that? Like how? Like like I just yeah. don't understand the like how public has rights over private. Anyways, it's a weird place. Nurses are great. They should be paid more. They um, should and treated better. Yes, they should. <laughs> it also matters to patient health. You will be the more nurses we have who are paid better and get more sleep and have more breaks, the better your treatment at a hospital will also be. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna. Yeah, I. The healthcare in this, this country. This is turning into. I'm like this is turning into a health podcast. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I, I have a. Um, I'm going to go back to your. I'm uh, your wife. You said so. She had the sketch comedy before you even met. So like she's been yeah. doing this for years and years and years. Oh yeah, she like, started she, before she even met her like her current friends who are also really into it. She her very first video I think was at her very first job which was at an ice cream shop in richmond virginia and she like created well, so this some, is before like, she was a nurse even oh my she was like in high school oh wow mm-hmm. and then she also created a nursing video while she was a nursing student that like now it like continues to be um like shown to all the nurses at like various events that one has like millions of views and it's also very blurry now because she was doing it on like 2008 <laughs> technology. So the more we talk about this, I your wife appears to be famous. Like <laughs> I mean, like unknowingly famous. Yeah, <laughs> and makes yeah. no money from being famous. It's, she just creates <laughs> funny videos on the internet. I tell her, I'm like, you need to get on TikTok. Like, you need to do this. Stuff. And she just like, no, she doesn't. And that's me coming at it from like a marketer's point of view. Yeah. I'm like, if you did yeah. this consistently every day or at this time, whatever, like you'd be famous. And she's like, no, I want to do it whenever I feel like it. And that is hardly ever. Um, I just like cracking jokes with my friends. Thanks. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> like I think we said before, she just wants to have that, that artistic Avenue and let it be what it is. And yeah, it, she just likes to have fun. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and make people laugh, but doesn't want it to, um, necessarily be her career. I love that. You, um, you were talking about earlier on uh, how how you're close with your family and and you know that's a part of you. I'm I'm curious. Like, is there any um, like mantra or rule that you you learned from your family that like kind of is reflected and stays true in who you are today? Mm-hmm. So um, 
I, what grade was I in? In in sixth grade, um, we moved into my grandparents' home. Both of them had passed. um, And my grandparents' home, they had built. um, And my mother had grown up up in it as well. So um, we've been having Christmases in that house for like 60 plus years. It's like a very special family home. But um, there's this one picture in that house that has not ever moved. It hangs in the kitchen. And it's this old black and white picture of the house that my grandfather grew up in. Um, it was him and five siblings um, and his parents, of course. Uh, but it was in North Texas, um, a rundown shack, very small. He slept out on the porch. Um, he always liked to remind us. And um, when he was alive, he um, used that picture as a way to remind all of his grandkids, probably his own children, Um to, to never forget where, where you came from. Um, he was very much a man who thought that nobody was above doing the dirtiest or lowliest of work, um, that nobody was better than anybody else, um, that, that you had the ability to impact your own um, path and future, but that it was never in your right to be mean to others, to disregard others, um, so yeah, I mean that that I I love that picture. I think of that picture a lot. Um, he was not talking about like remember where like remember where you came from in terms of this house that we have in Beaumont, Texas. Yeah. It was more of a you come from nothing. He and his family lost everything in the Great Depression, like so many families did, um, and that was a really important um, life event for him and one that he very much wanted to as best as he could pass that down to us. Um, and I think that's hard, right? I mean, I, I think about that a lot too. You know, my, my wife and I want to have a family and I'm like, how do you, you know, teach small humans who have everything so much more than you even had. And I had everything, right. Um, how, how do you teach them to, um, not expect that, right. And, and deal with adversity and deal with less manage less, be happy on less, um, in ways that were really important. And my grandfather did that through um, his stories and, and always pointing back to that, you know, we we come from nothing. We could go back to nothing. You, As a result, you're better than nothing. That's such a powerful statement. Oh, man, I love that. I think we yeah. all need that reminder, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Tracy, that's such a great a great note to end on. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and chatting. And this has been so exciting for me. I, I think you're just such an interesting person. I think you have such a, 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 I think, I think about a lot about myself, but all of us, like the impact we have on the world and also like whether we realize it or not, like we're impacting those around us. And so hopefully we're doing it in a positive way. And I think you're someone who is totally doing it in a positive way. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I will say too, as like a last like note, um, I very much appreciate you saying that I do want like you to know, and also anybody listening that, um, like even people like me, I am coming off of, um, a year, 2021 was a very hard year for me, especially from a mental health standpoint. I've made a lot of changes and things to get back to a better place. And as a result, my positivity and all of those things are coming, coming through a lot more, but, um, I mean, the pandemic and I mean, gosh, so much that has happened in the last couple of years, I know has been really mentally hard on a lot of people. So for you, for anyone listening, if you do not 
feel like that positive person or if, if that's just like not the place that you are at right now, um, just know that that's okay. Um, you, you have to deal with your emotions and manage your emotions and how you feel, um, by meeting yourself where you're at, which is the same way you should meet other people as well. Um, so, so positivity is great. Um, toxic positivity is not. You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Podcasts. 